Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 43rd episode of the PJ Archive. It's an interview I did with the Queen of Country Music, the American singer, songwriter and actress Reba McIntyre. It took place in 1999, when she came to London as part of a promotional tour of Europe. Reba began by telling me about Does He Love You, one of her biggest American hits, which she just released over here. Well, it's a story about two women. One is the wife and one is the mistress, and they're each finding out about each other, and they're confronting each other. And so it's it's a confrontational song that Linda Davis and I have been having a great time getting to sing since... 95, 96, and we've won a Grammy for this song, our performance, and just love doing it. Is this one of your all-time favorites, as it were? All-time favorites get to do on stage along with Fancy. Um, it's it's a very theatrical song on stage, and uh, it's got lots of feeling. And besides, I love to sing with Linda Davis. I think she's one of the greatest vocalists ever, and she is one of the few people that when I sit and listen to her sing, neither one of us will be the first to say goodbye. That's one of my favorite songs. But when Linda sings it, I cry. She is just phenomenal. Forever Love is another one of my favorites. Oh, is that one of yours? You. Oh, absolutely, because it's such a strong love song, especially in the time of crisis right now with the, uh, you know, with the battling going on uh, and so many of our troops who are away from home. Forever Love is a very uh, important song because it says, um, no matter how many miles we are far apart, that, that uh, my love for you will always be there. Are there certain songs which go down well with a live audience? Sure, all of them. I appreciate that, but I mean, any ones in particular that they go crazy for. Oh, sure. Um, Is There Life Out There? The Greatest Man I Never Knew? Fancy? I think the song that has always gotten the most applause and the most response from the audience is Does He Love You? You haven't written too many of your own hits. Do you write a lot of songs for your albums and things? No, I don't. I'm not that good. I'm not a professional. And if I'm going to have a song that gets on the album, I want it to be the best song I can possibly find. And I might be a little partial to some of mine. So I want the best songs for my fans and the people who buy my albums. So I go to the professionals on that. Are you now releasing material throughout the rest of the world that has long since been released in America? Yes, we've done that on the Moments and Memories album. Uh, we released that in Canada, in Australia, and in Europe. And so we, what we wanted to do is kind of catch everyone up on what has been going on for the last 23 years in my career. And then after that, then we are releasing the albums as we release them in the States. That must seem strange to have a sort of a relaunch elsewhere in the world, doesn't it? Well, I thought it was a great idea that they came up with, so I was for it 100%. Do you feel that your attempts to conquer the rest of the world is paying off, is coming off? Well, now, I wouldn't say conquer. I just want to go see the rest of the world, and while I'm doing it, I'd like to introduce myself and my music and tell the story about my life and the journey that I've had for the last 20-some-odd years getting to perform and record songs. And, And there's some really neat stories in these songs that I like to tell and sing about. You've become a phenomenon in the U.S. Can you explain how that's happened? Well, a phenomenon. I didn't know I was that either, but <laughs> it's it's uh, it's a job I absolutely love. It's the best job I've ever had in my life. Uh, I enjoy traveling. I enjoy singing. I love performing, and I love being an entertainer. And I work real, real hard to find better songs, and I work real hard to put a show together that entertains me. Because if it entertains me, I'm going to look like I'm having a great time, which I always do, mm. and my audience won't think well, she's just up there for the money. She's up there for the notoriety. She's up there for the fame. 
all those three things were very, very important to me. And after a while, you know, the love of your craft, of what you get to do, overrides all of that. If I just get to sing, that's that's great. You know, if whether it's for a, for a bunch of little uh, third graders or as we're doing Friday night at the at, you know here in London, it's it's uh, getting to perform and entertain. That's what's really special to me. But with all respect, a lot of performers have these aims and ambitions and ideals, but somehow they haven't reached the success that you have. Why do you think you've broken through? Uh, by the grace of God, being in the right place at the right time, I have no idea other than that. Does it seem strange that you can still walk down the streets of somewhere like England or Australia or whatever and not get mobbed, whereas in America you probably can't walk anywhere? Oh, sure. I go everywhere in, in the States. and uh, I go shopping. I go out to movies. I go to restaurants. and I'm, I'm a very normal person. Yeah, it's not. I, I don't have bodyguards or anything. I'm a very normal person. I really am. You and Garth Brooks would appear to be the leaders of the sort of new wave of country music. Do you think that's a fair comment? What's new wave of country music? Well, let's put it as far as we're concerned in Britain. I mean, country music used to be Dolly Parton, Tammy Wynette, Kenny Rogers, and so on. But now there's been a great resurgence, which has really taken off throughout the rest of the world, which didn't really take off before. I'd say we're just the next generation. I don't see that there's... There is a little bit of difference in mine and Garth music compared to George Jones and, and Dolly. Uh, Kenny Rogers is a very contemporary singer, and Dolly's Great Balls of Fire album is one of my favorites. And uh, 9 to 5, it was very pop, uh, very emotional, lots of soul to it. So I, I think we're just the next generation. And, and if it's called New Country, I guess we're the newer new kids on the block, so to speak. Garth's show is, ter is, is tremendously different than anybody else's show I can think of in country music. Maybe Chris Ledoux is about the only one I can think of that is similar. But uh, there's no one like Garth. I mean, he's, they broke the mold when they made him. How do you feel about the old guard, about Tammy and Dolly and everybody? Oh, I'm huge fans of them. I always have been. I mean, they're my heroes. Uh, Loretta, Tammy, Dolly, Barbara Mandrell, uh, those are the people that I listened to and, and uh, copied after and watched and studied. And then when, when I kind of got to a point, I had to start thinking up things from, for me to do and not be like Loretta and Dolly anymore. I had to be Reba. And Mama, I'll never forget Mama one day said, Reb, you're going to have to quit copying Loretta's licks that she does vocally in Dolly's. You've got to become your own person. So they will buy your records and not think, well, you're just a copycat. And so that's how, that's how much I like those ladies. You've added greater dimensions to the work, to your work than they had with theirs. Do you think that was necessary in order to progress in country music? Well, I think it's because I have such a great team to work with and people who are very innovative and very creative. They can think up great things for me to do. Now, I'm not the thinker-upper. I have great ideas every once in a while, but they're few and far between. And if it was just upon my little old brain, uh, there's no telling where I'd be today. So I have to say that the only thing I can pat myself on the back about is surrounding myself with great people. It would seem, that, I mean, certainly in this country, I don't think country music was taken very seriously many years ago, yet now it is. Do you think that was an important thing to barrier to get over? Oh, absolutely, and it happened the same way in the United States. I mean, there were closet listeners mm. in the States, and and now it's just, it's the hip thing. And I think, I'm, I'm hoping that's the way it's going to be over here in Europe very, very soon. The popularity that I have... Uh, experienced being over here with uh, this is my what fourth trip over it, it is and i enjoy coming back 
I look forward to this. Um, we were here in January, and here we are again in, in the first part of June, last part of May, and everyone was so surprised that we came back, and I found that surprising because we really enjoy it. We enjoy the challenge, and we enjoy the, the, the work it takes to see what happens. We like to see the end results, but we know it's going to take work. Do you feel that country music is in good hands for the future with people like Shania Twain and Leanne Rimes? Yeah, I really do. I think they've got great music in their hearts, and they've got, uh, you know, I, I don't know if Shania and, and Leanne will, uh, how, how can I say, they are so good, country probably can't contain them, keep them all to themselves. They're, they're bigger than just country. They're very versatile. Their vocals, their their show, their way of doing things is so much different that it's it's totally different than me. So, but I think there's great representation of country for country music in all the artists that are involved now, and the up and coming, and the ones that are still hanging on, like me. <laughs> Shania and the Dixie Chicks have uh -huh. got quite a raunchy reputation. Is yeah. that something that you approve of? Oh yeah, I approve of it. I wouldn't do it myself. You know, like at the uh, Academy of Country Music Awards show when the Dixie Chicks came up in their outfits, I was giggling. You know, I was, I was, I was chuckling. I was thinking, these girls are so hysterical, and they've got the the greatest sense of humor. They're so witty, and the whole the country industry has just embraced them. They love them, and it's given a bre a breath of fresh air to country music. Um, I, I really like them. Quite a bit, and they—they've not only are they outlandish in their way of dressing and their thinking, their little renegades, uh, you know, their their little ornery, but they have come back. Their music is is like old country. It's like the, what I grew up with, mm. the Grand Ole Opry type style. I think some people might be quite surprised at your reaction there because you're known to be quite a religious person from a very religious part of America. Is it not quite shocking and outrageous that they should be behaving the way they are? I don't see that they're doing anything wrong. Do you? I'm asking you. No, I don't see that they're doing a thing wrong. Uh, I just, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. Right. And I, I did grow up in Oklahoma. Uh, I'm not a churchgoer. But, uh, no, I, I think they're cute as a button. I don't see a thing wrong with what they're doing. But you said earlier on that you felt your success and your whatever abilities are from a gift from above. Is that mm -hmm. how you see it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I really honestly believe that uh, I was put on this earth to sing songs to help people because there's so much power in music. I mean, it can make you laugh. It can make you cry. It even healed my heart when I lost my band in 91 to a plane crash. Uh, the songs like For My Broken Heart really, when I would sing it, would actually heal my heart because... I think that tragedies, if people don't talk about what's wrong with them, if it's something really bothering you, if you don't talk about it, you can destroy yourself. You can It, it can drive you crazy. My outlet was singing. My outlet was music. And it's very, very powerful. And I know me singing songs like For My Broken Heart and If I'd Only Known not only helped me, but I, I got letters. People would call me and write me and tell me it shows that... Um, they had lost people in their own circumstances of tragedy that those songs helped heal them and get them on with life. It would seem that your voice is very natural. Your whole, This is a natural form of expression to you. Very much so. I'm not a great communicator. Um, music is the way I communicate and, and give my feelings and my emotion to other folks.
Was this always the way in your family, in your family background? Or was it singing a very much a thing in your family? Singing was a very big thing in my family. Daddy didn't sing, and my older sister didn't sing, Alice. But Paik, my older brother, my little sister Susie and myself, and Mama were the ones who sang all the time. Uh, we were the singing Macintyres, Paik, Susie, and I. And we had a little country-western band at, at school. We would raise money for, you know, like the senior class. We'd put on a concert, and, and uh, the bass player of that band is now the band leader and bass player of Alan Jackson. So all of us have gone on and pursued music and made that our major career uh, and, and the way of making money. Was there ever anything else you considered doing? I do have my degree in elementary education. I finished college, three and a half years. I have uh, worked for an oil lease company before. And I rodeoed for 10 years. But of all those things, singing is the one thing, as, the, as, as I said before, my God-given talent, that I could do pretty well. So I stuck with that. When you were doing these other things in your life, did you always believe that eventually singing would take over and you would break through? I was hoping it would. Uh, it seemed like the more I sang, the more doors were open to me. Um, I passed all my expectations 20 years ago. You know, I, I couldn't dream this big. Did anyone ever tell you when you were very small that you would be immensely successful? No, Lord, no, huh? No. But you had an inner belief of some kind? Well, I take one day at a time. You know, I didn't sit there one day and said, oh, one of these days I'm going to be in London playing. <laughs> you know, I never knew that existed. Uh, the only thing I knew that existed was you're on, you're on the radio uh, and you play on the Grand Ole Opry. I didn't know much more past that. And American Bandstand, if he's a rock and roll artist, because I used to watch American Bandstand, too. So this is uh, way past my expectations. So when you were watching programs like American Bandstand, were you dreaming there or even doing it in your own living room, reenacting it all? Oh, yeah. Susie and I used to get in front of the mirror and turn our hairbrushes upside down and sing to it. Mm. Yeah, we would uh, we'd sing along with records and pantomime and uh, hopefully one day. And, oh, I used to go to bed when I was, like, in the fifth grade. I used to go to bed after the CMA Awards show and, and rehearse my acceptance speech. I wanted to win one day. Mm. But, you know, who never knew it was going to happen? Did you still have it for what you actually did win your first award? No, I changed. <laughs> I think I had a better one. Right, I hope so. Yeah. yeah. And you were, you were basically discovered singing the American National Anthem at a rodeo, is oh. that right? Mm -hmm. And how do you feel about our National Anthem? Because it comes under a lot of stick. Why? Well, it just does. A lot of people don't like our National Anthem over here. We like yours, but we don't like ours. Really? Well, our National Anthem is very hard to sing. It's very rangy. And uh, it's funny, a, a lot of people don't exactly know what it means, but um, it's our song, and I guess we'll stick to it, I guess, like you guys will. Hmm. Are you all planning on changing it? Well, I think a lot of people would like to change really? it. Really? Yeah. yeah. What do you think of it, though? I think it's great. It's yeah. fine, yeah. All right. Your own personal life has been in the papers to a certain extent. Is that a, a real problem to you when the press are constantly on you because you're well-known? No, if it was, I wouldn't be doing all these things for the press. You mean the tabloids and yeah, things? Tabloids. tabloids don't bother me at all unless they pick on somebody other than me. If it's somebody, my friends or family, if they're doing bad things and slanderous things against them, then it really aggravates me. But if it's me, it doesn't bother me at all. Have they gone to great lengths to try and find things out about you? There's nothing to find out. I mean, they've made up some stuff, which was I, I laughed at. I had a real good laugh at it. Um, in one paper, they were saying I'd had plastic surgery. And they took an old picture and uh, computerized, moved my nose over about a half an inch, and it was so distorted, it was it was comical. And they said I'd had a nose job, which I've never had a nose job. So those kind of things are just 
I mean, they're comical. It's like um, a woman has alien baby and um, that kind of stuff. It's ridiculous. You mentioned earlier on the business of the, the awful plane crash. How much did that knock you at the time? Oh, it totally shut me totally down. It was absolutely the hardest, worst thing I'd ever been through in my life. I didn't know if I could ever get back on stage again without my band. It was said that you missed the plane yourself. You didn't get on the plane because you weren't very well. What is the what is the truth about that? No, the truth is that we did our show that night. We went back to the hotel, and we were planning, because we were going to have to go play Fort Wayne, Indiana, and another show, and then come back to San Diego and do another private show, like five days later. And so we had all talked about getting together after the next show and everybody gathering in our suite. They'd given us a huge suite and just have a celebration, have a party. And so Jim was going to arrange that, Jim Hammond, my tour manager. And so Narla and I went to bed. The other, Our pilot took his brother, who was the pilot of one of the other two planes, and a, a, another plane that was chartered. So we had three pilots, really. And so, um, well, there were six because there was three planes. But anyway, that's too complicated. We, we went to bed, and I was not sick. I had plans the next day to leave in the afternoon to fly to Fort Wayne, Indiana, because I don't go to sound check. I wasn't needed for anything until uh, an hour before the show. So the the rumors of that, I put my foot on the bottom step of the plane's ladder, and Patsy Klein spoke to me, don't get on the plane. That was in one of the tabloids. That wasn't true. I didn't, I didn't go to the airport at all. Did you have any kind of premonition or anything like that? No, none whatsoever. Do you believe in that kind of thing? Sure I do, yeah. So, I mean, if you had had one, you'd have responded on it? I suppose I would have, yes, but I didn't have one. Do you, when you're performing on stage, still feel that your band is still around you, that the people that you've lost? Not on stage, but other places I feel them around me. Like right after the plane crash, um, I was in my sitting area, whatever you want to call it, in my closet... And I, I felt their presence. So you had find out by that stage that... Oh, I was already back home. Right. Okay. I was, it was after the right. plane crash, everything. And we'd flown back home. And uh, I was to sing at the op- at the Oscars that next week. Mm-hmm. And they were calling. Everybody was wanting to know, am I going to do it? Am I going to do it? If not, they had to replace me. And uh, that next morning I was at home and sitting at my vanity and... Uh, my dressing table, and all of a sudden it was just like they were all there and saying, go do it, do it for us. And it's a song called I'm Checking Out of This Heartbreak Hotel. It was from Postcards of the Edge. Postcards from the Edge. From the Edge, thank you. Uh, The Shirley MacLaine and Meryl Streep movie. Yeah. And so, and what was so weird, last September I was in L.A. promoting my latest movie, Forever Love, and I went to the opening of Meryl Streep's latest movie, and I was there going down the red carpet doing all the press, and Meryl came over and said, thank you. I said, what for? She said, because you sang Checking Out This Heartbreak Hotel for me on the Oscars. I was supposed to sing that song. I said, I didn't know that. And the lady interviewing me at the time said, well, Meryl, why didn't you sing? She said, because I was pregnant with my child, and I was, you know, overweight and everything. I wasn't going to sing on the, be on the Oscars. And I, I didn't know that story. And I don't know that Meryl knew how much that song meant to me because of the plane crash. But Jack Lemmon was sitting in the audience, and that was the year that uh, Dances with Wolves won so much. And it was, you know, people knew about the plane crash in the audience. They, they knew what I was going through. If they didn't, it was sure in my imagination because it was just so much warmth and feeling that I got from the audience, and it helped me through that song. But I was singing it for my band. 
Your career has continued to go from strength to strength since that dreadful day. Do you feel that somehow, as you, being a spiritual person, that they are helping you along the way? Always. Always. I think we all get, you know, whether you think it's angels, whether you think it's um, uh, loved ones, I, I think, I, I still feel my grandmother, she's been, been dead for uh, 20 years. So I feel that, I feel her presence an awful lot and, and I feel her strength. Do you have a fear of flying? Have you had a fear of flying since then? No. No. Because a lot of people associate plane crashes with country music because so much of it has happened. Does you don't know, feel as a country music person that you're in danger because... Well, I'm in danger every time I get in a plane, in danger every time I step foot on a sidewalk or when I get in a car. There's a lot of country music artists who have been killed in car wrecks, too. But, mm. um, you know, Barbara Mandrell, when she had her near-fatal car wreck, she, she gets back in a car all the time now. I mean, it's just the same thing. Life goes on. Because obviously, Patsy Cline, you you are often r associated with. Are you flattered to be associated with Patsy Cline compared to? I mean, oh, uh, compared to my gosh, yes, she's the greatest vocalist um, with soul, emotion, and a great roundness. You know, it's never piercing, it's never irritating, it's never anything but soothing, and she just like wraps a blanket around you when you hear her sing. Do you often listen to some of the old songs and try and emulate that, or are you just determined to be your own person? Oh, I'm on my own person. No, that's... Uh, every, every, lots of people have tried to copy and and uh, be the next Patsy Cline. There's only one Patsy Cline. You have an enormous staff around you, I think up to 100 people. Mm -hmm. Do you know all their names? Do you know them no, all personally? Yes. <clears throat> A lot of them have been with me over 15 years, yeah. Right. Is that very important, especially in show business, where a lot of people get stitched up, especially financially, and you want to know you've got people around you you can trust. It's very important. Very important. Absolutely, and they've got to be good at their job. Mm. This is a very strong team because we have our publishing company and our over 20 writers in our publishing company. We have advertising for our shows. We promote and book our own shows. And then we have our own accounting, uh, our CEO who runs the company of Starstruck. And... Uh, all the people who are out on the road so it's it's a large organization it would appear that reba mcintyre is a product is that something you're happy with oh it doesn't make any difference to me it, it is the, it is a fact yeah I'm, I'm like a a racehorse i guess you could consider me that um you know that has to be uh in tune fine shape to go perform doesn't it frighten you, though, that it's you've got a 100 people out there and then you've got millions of fans? It's a big responsibility. Does, is that frightening? No, I've dreamed of this for many, many years. <laughs> it's the greatest thing. <laughs> Do you find a lot of pressure to always be on form and everything else, to be <clears throat> in your best voice, because you've got so many people you would let down otherwise? I used to. Hmm. I used, that used just to panic me beyond words. I mean, whenever I used to get a little sore throat, I would stress out so much I would lose my voice. Stress is a killer, and I've realized that. So I don't let it get to me anymore. And I, consequently, I haven't been sick in a long time. But you've had to learn by your mistakes, as mm -hmm. you explained earlier. Are you very, very careful? Do you plan out with your husband your schedule and make sure that it's not going to be too heavy at any particular time? We work hard. We play hard. Uh, this trip, we just got through getting uh, my stepson married. 
getting him off on his honeymoon, planning the whole wedding uh, with all of our families coming in, leaving the next day to come to London to do press, going over to Italy to perform for the troops, coming back to uh, London, doing in-store, going back to New York and, and doing things there, and then going to Texas and singing for President and Mrs. Bush for their birthday party, going to Vancouver to start a movie, but that I'll be there for four weeks. Um, we plan it. And then September, uh, right before we start putting our fall tour together, we take a break and we go take vacation. But this is, is a lot of vacation, too, because we, we blend in a lot of time to sightsee, to get to do fun things while we're working. If you don't, you get sick to death of hotel rooms. Mm. So we get out and we have fun. We find the best restaurants to eat at. We go see Broadway plays. And we have fun. How many years ahead are you planned? Oh, just this one. Right. Well, no, I take that back. April 2000. And, but isn't it daunting having all those schedules? You know you've got to meet all those deadlines and schedules and everything else. Is that not a problem for you? Do you know what is a problem for me? Being bored. I haven't been bored in years, and I like it that way. And to not have anything to do, that's not in, in my lifestyle. Mm. If uh, at one time before I turned in my latest book, I was doing a book, finding songs for two albums and touring with Brooks and Dunn, Terry Clark and David Kirsch. And I was a mother and a, am a mother and a wife. It's fun to me to have my boat loaded, so to speak. I enjoy being busy. But being so successful, I know you said you can walk down the street in America and stuff, but you, surely you can't live a normal life like the rest of us. Sure I can. The only thing I can't do is go to Walmart. Why can't you go to Walmart? They follow me down the aisles, and that irritates me. <laughs> Any place else I can go. I've, I've worked it out to where I go to a mall, mm. and then when someone recognizes me and starts following me, I go to another store. Right. And then it, pretty soon it gets through the whole mall that I'm in the mall, and then I go to a different mall if I'm not through shopping. So I've got it worked out. I mean, it can irritate you and drive you crazy, but on the other hand, as Daddy would say, isn't this what you always wanted? Well, of course it is. So... You, you take it with a grain of salt, and you and you just make allowances. You go do something else. Tammy Wynette used to invite her fans round for tea and, and bring in coach loads and things. Do you do that sort of thing? Absolutely not. No. My home place is my home time. That's my family. I separate the two. Apart from not being able to go into Walmart, is there anything that you would like to do that you can't do because you're so successful? No. Uh, I even went through, on the 4th of July, believe it or not, we went to Disneyland right. in California. Narvel, myself, and his youngest stepdaughter, my youngest stepdaughter and our son, had a blast. And I didn't go incognito. I just had my sunglasses on and a ball cap because mm. that's the way usually I fix my hair. <laughs> Sandy Speaker goes with me all the time and fixes my hair. So mm. when I fix my hair, it's a ball cap. Now, what kind of fans do you have generally? What, how do you see your fans? What are they like? There is no set description of a Reba McIntyre fan. Um, 90 to 2 years old. From every country that I can think of, every nationality, uh, female and male, I can't think of anything that I haven't seen yet. There's, Thank God there's a lot of fans of, for Reba McIntyre. I've seen some very touching television pictures of you doing charity work, which I know you do a great deal of. What are the more touching scenes that you've seen in doing this kind of work? Oh, I was going to hope you wouldn't ask that. The week of Mother's Day. We do a benefit in Oklahoma City. It's for our Children's Medical Research Hospital for cancer. And it was right after the um, tornado in Oklahoma City. And so as I was visiting the children in Oklahoma City, there was four children from two different families that had been terribly hurt. 
during the tornado. I mean, flung. Two were in a coma and two were conscious, but in such pain. I mean, they had them, they still had the dirt on their feet. I mean, they, they had just saved their life. And to walk in there with the parents to see these children and to talk to them, because this one little girl who was redheaded, freckle-faced, lived in Oklahoma City. She was in a coma, and her mother asked me to talk to her. It, it was the strangest thing. It's a new thing they have. They had drilled a hole in the top of her head and was monitoring her brain. And the, their monitor was up there uh, above her bed. And when I would talk to her, her stress level, I think, is when she's really upset, her brain would swell. And when she was soothed and not stressed, her brain would shrink and be calm. And the white line would tell that. And they, the doctors and everybody would look at that white line while I was talking to her. And they said, she is so calm. And I would, I would start to walk out of the room, and it would go back up. And I walked back over and talked to her, and it would be calm. So from that alone, you know that you're doing some good by visiting people while they're in a coma and talking to them. Because some, for some reason or another, they know you're there. And she was a huge, she's a huge fan of me. And I called uh, back, uh, I mean, so that was on a Friday, and I called the next Monday to see how she was, and she's still in a coma. But the other child had come out of the coma. When you talk about this or about the plane crash, you do it in, in a very matter-of-fact but sensitive way. But are there times when you go behind closed doors and you bawl your eyes out? Walking out of the rooms for the, uh, when, you, when you're in there, you can't cry. I mean, the parents need that strength. Because if you cry, they're going to start crying again. And they're probably just about to their wits end with their child sitting there. And one of the little girls was nine, and my son's nine. So you walk out of the room, and you let it go. Then you wipe your eyes, you put on your lipstick again, you powder your face, and you walk down to the next room. And thank God it's not your child. But by the grace of God, it could be just as easily it was theirs. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. A lot of people look to you as a source of strength and reliability. Is it very tough to always be in control and at your best and everything else? Oh, I'm not. I'm not ever at my. Not always at my best. I'm, I mean, I'm a very vulnerable person. I'm. I'm a. I'm soft-hearted. I'm. Um, I guess the the reason why I have to appear strong is because to help other people. But yeah, I mean, you get away from it and you just melt. I mean, you just go into a million pieces. But you, you're strong for the people who needed it at that time. It's, it is, um, it's a responsibility that I cherish. And I know it's a huge responsibility. There was a sign when I was in basketball, playing basketball that hung on our dressing room door and it said, little eyes are watching. So on and off the court, watch what you say, watch what mm. you do. And I, that's, that made a big, um, that influenced me heavily when I was a kid, and I've I've held that within my heart forever. You've had uh, a child, and you're in, in incredibly good shape. Um, do you do have any kind of fitness regime? My show is my workout. No, I'm too lazy to work out. I, I, I don't like to work out. It hurts. And uh, I will walk. I don't like to jog. So basically, um, my show, when I'm up on stage, is my workout routine. Do you care for what you eat? Are you t mm -hmm. careful about your voice mm -hmm. because it's so precious? Right. I stay away from dairy products because I'm somewhat allergic to it, and it clogs my station tubes and my sinuses. 
uh, I do stay away from a lot of fruit when I'm singing because fruit clogs my sinuses. I don't know why, and I love fruit. So when I'm not singing, I overdose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I don't eat fried foods, except I steal some of Shelby's McDonald's uh, french fries when I can. Uh, yeah, just trying to eat well. Uh, not not for vanity purposes, just for my health to take care of my body. What you just said about the McDonald's fries, I mean, uh, are the parts and you think oh, I could wish I could just eat like everyone else and oh yeah oh Linda Davis can eat anything and everything in the world and she's still you know this big around and she's you know very a great figure and uh like we just got through having lunch and I had a little tomato with some little baby shrimp in it she had a big bowl of mashed potatoes mm. you know I can't do that <laughs> I have to watch what I eat but yeah boy I, if it wasn't for um you know, just trying to take care of my body and stuff if I wasn't so health conscious. And, you know, it, it, a little vanity does play in mm-hmm. there. And people kept saying, uh, after vacations especially, I have to go on a cut back on my food because uh, when I'm on vacations, I do go overboard on desserts. And they said, oh, Ruby, you don't have to do that. And I said, well, let me just tell you this. When you're on the front row, first thing you see when I turn around is my butt. Now, wouldn't you rather me be a little slender than bigger? And they said, okay, get on that diet. <laughs> Do you wear any of the outfits in real life that you wear on stage? Absolutely not. Why not? Well, because they're a little flashy and and they're just for stage. Yeah. And you're not flashy in real life? No, I'm a tomboy. I've always been a tomboy and I'm a very basic, practical person. You always come across, like you are now, as being extremely polite and charming and well-mannered. Is that difficult sometimes because mm-hmm. you may be feeling otherwise? Sure it is, absolutely. When you're tired and you are you don't feel well or um, stress has gotten to you a little bit, yeah, it, you, all you want to do is just, you know, snap somebody's head off. Um, when some people, when you're starving and you've uh, been working all day and you, and you take that big first bite and your fork is coming up to your mouth and somebody stops you said i hate to bother you but would you mind signing this for my great granddaughter her neighbor next door absolutely loves you i mean you want to bend the fork into and say something very sarcastic but little eyes are watching that's what i always Mm. go back to and i always want to treat people like i want to be treated i hate to be embarrassed i hate that and uh, it's the golden rule just treat people like you want to be treated but being polite is not part of an act and not something you're doing just part of your show business thing it's a genuine what you want anyway sometimes it's an act most of the time it's genuine i mean you know when you don't feel good it's an act i mean because that's not really what you want to say mm. and it's it's manners that's the way mom and daddy raised me when i've interviewed garth brooks he's explained to me how he makes sure all the people around him behave themselves basically it's very important are you as strict on your team as well absolutely not i cannot control other people's lives no, I'm, I, I don't want to control other people's lives. The way I go about it, I set an example, and I do my job. I expect them to do their job. If, by some reason, they can't do it, they won't be with me. But I don't go and tell them, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. I tell them I expect a job, and I expect professionalism. I expect politeness to the fans, the audience, and the people we work with at, at our halls and venues. Those people have been with me for many, many years. If they were of any other level, they wouldn't be with me. Are you quite a tough disciplinarian? No. No. I'm not a tough disciplinarian at all. I just I, I just expect a lot. I don't preach and I don't um, rule with an iron fist. How do you feel about drugs, generally? 
Well, I don't think that people ought to be operating heavy machinery with it. Uh, it's, it's, you know, anything can be done moderately. Now, if it's bad for your body, I'm not for it. Basically, you know, I, I do drink socially. But, uh, you know, in my college days, I, I abused my body with, you know, alcohol. And I sure wished I hadn't done that. But it was something that I went through and um, don't do it anymore because it hurts. I, I don't like to pay for it the day after. Have you ever had to fire any of your staff for mis- misdemeanors? Yes. Well, it was early on in my uh, my career. I went backstage in the dressing room, and there was a suitcase opened and a matchbox full of marijuana. Oh. Now, it's a little more liberal nowadays, but back in those days, mm. 20 years ago, absolutely not. And it wouldn't have been their name in the newspaper. It would have been mine. Yeah. So I let him go the next day. And I had another band member who uh, was using drugs very badly, it, not on the job, but on the other days. And... Um, and it got to a point where it was getting way out of hand, and I let him go. A lot of people associate red hair with feistiness and hot-temperedness. Are you feisty and hot-tempered? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, for an example, when I broke my leg uh, snow skiing in 96, we had eight shows to go. Well, I had to cancel four until I could recuperate mentally and physically to get back on stage again. And they devised a bar stool with a back and arms and had a you know little thing the ring around the bottom where you could put your foot and for my left leg i i hurt my i pulled a muscle off my bone inside my knee so my they welded a piece of iron sticking right straight out so during rehearsal i was in a wheelchair and they had uh, just put me up there and put my brakes on and we had this moving my stage was the center was where the band was and then i had a runway going this way with a small stage at that end and a runway going this way with a circular stage on that end and i worked all i changed clothes 15 times had 10 dancers on stage well, when I broke my leg, that kind of sh- shut down a lot of that. But I was still on this pulley dolly thing that went back and forth, and that's the way I moved from end to end in the stage. Well, we were rehearsing. We, they were going, and the dancers were dancing all around me, and I was scared to death they were going to hit my leg. And all of a sudden, this little dolly thing stopped, and I kind of lunged forward, and then I went back. Well, I was just like popping a wheelie on my wheelchair, and I thought Terry, one of my dancers, had caught me. And I was like, oh, great. And all of a sudden it went, whoa, and it fell back. And I still had my microphone on, and I said, this will never work. And Narvel reached up, leaned over to Ricky Moeller, my sound man of almost 20 years, and said, turn off her mic, because he knew I, it was fixing to flow. So to say the least, everything had kind of come to a boiling point, and so we got all that figured out, and we did our show that night. How often do you lose it? Not often anymore. It used to be about once a week. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Your red hair and your name McIntyre would imply Celtic roots. Mm-hmm. You are originally from Scotland, your Scotland. family? Yeah. Right. Yes. Have you been back to trace, to go and see some villages or wherever you came from? Yes, I have been there. I haven't traced any of the roots, but I've been there to where my family is from. So we've we've played Edinburgh and um, Glasgow in Scotland. So we want to go back. St. Andrews is where they're from, right. from that from that town. And that's as far back as Mama has traced it. So I want to go back, and I'd love to take Mama, too. Daddy has no interest in going over to Scotland. He likes to stay home as much as possible. So, uh, But Mother and I would really like to go over and trace it out. And you play the bagpipes? No, but I love to listen to them. 
St Andrews is renowned for golf. A lot of singers are into golf at the moment. Are you into golf? Very muchly so. I am into golf. I love to play it. I also like to uh, trap and skeet shoot. So, uh, but golfing is something I really have gotten into this year. I've been playing since 87, but I've really gotten serious about it this year. Can we just hear a bit about your home, where you live and so on? I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, No, 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 about 40 miles outside. How luxurious is your home and which famous neighbors do you have? (laughs) Famous neighbors, uh, well, we're living, we live way out of Nashville, so um, I guess the closest neighbor I have is Charlie Daniels. And what about in your house? Do you have a studio and a no? Don't have a. St- we have tennis court, pool, table, uh, pool, uh, pool house, a small barn with an apartment on top, and a big barn over across the road. And we have a um, like a twelve seat theater downstairs. We just got through renovating our house mm-hmm. uh, for the second time, uh, and we and all the kids love movies as much as I do. So we put a twelve seat theater down in the basement, and then uh, we have a small wine cellar. And then everything else is very practical. Would you like your child to follow you in your footsteps? If he wants to. Mm. I really don't care what he does, as long as he makes a a good living for himself and his family, and he's happy and healthy. Is he showing signs of musical ability? Not one bit. He has no interest in doing any of the songs at the Christmas programs or at Mm. the school functions. Mm. He he likes to play drums. That's about the only thing he's shown interest in. Mm. Oh, and he he knows a few chords on the guitar. You, you couldn't do the Titanic film. When you saw the film, did you really cu- kick yourself? No, not at all. I, I was very... I, I'm a firm believer of whatever happens is meant to be. Mm. And we had scheduled the three months. James Cameron and his people had told us they wanted these three months for, for me on the movie. And so we took those three months of show dates mm-hmm. and moved them to the next three months right. of, the, of the calendar. Then he came back and said, no, we don't need those three months. We need these three months. Well, that would have been six months off of my tour with 100 people on payroll. James Cameron didn't pay me that much. <laughs> so I had to take care of business. And you don't need the money now, though, do you? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you always need money. Yeah. A movie of your life one day. Will there be a movie of your life like we had the Tammy Wynette story? Or? Yes, there will be. Right. Are you already working on it? Yes, we are. Oh, right. Who's going to play you? We haven't figured that one out yet. We're, we just have hired a writer to write it. What will it be called? Well, I don't know that yet either. Uh, do you have political ambitions? No, I've never had any political ambitions whatsoever. Right. right. How do you feel about the war out there? And since you're going to visit the troops, can you say? I just hope the good Lord puts the people that that are in the main positions, I hope they figure out the best things to do to settle this as quickly as possible. You mentioned earlier that you'd perform for the Bushes. Are you friends with the Clintons? I've never met the Clintons. I'm very friendly and, and good friends with the Bushes. Have you met our royalty over here? No, I haven't. Uh, are you hoping to? Is that I like would, a secret ambition? I would absolutely love to. I presume you've performed at the White House and all that sort of stuff. Uh-huh. Yes, uh, I've performed at the White House. Anywhere you haven't performed that you'd like to do or whatever? Hmm. Oh, there's lots of places we haven't. Yeah. The palace would be wonderful, absolutely. Is there anything you haven't done that you'd really just love to do away from the obvious things? Uh, we would love to tour the Orient. Okay. We've never performed there. And we are broadening, uh, going into a lot more places like Brazil, South America. We'd love to perform down there, take our music down. Basically, to see as much of the world as, as we possibly can. What would you like to have achieved by the end of your career? How would you like to be remembered one day? I would just like to be remembered as she was a very friendly person who loved to entertain and loved what she did. Uh, just, just to be loved, that would be the icing on the cake, that they liked me.
They do. Thanks. <laughs>